You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. You don't need to go out looking for what is the will of God for your life. Should I do this? Should I do that? That stuff will become clear as you go through life, as you invest yourself in different experiences, as you rub shoulders with different people. They'll tell you what you're good at and they'll tell you what you're bad at. But God's will for your life is here. This is His will for your life. You read the Word and the Word says, this is what I want you to do. Resignation of your own self to the will and authority of someone else is a hard thing. When you accept the ultimate gift of Jesus' sacrifice, you are told to place yourself under His jurisdiction, as Pastor Tom states today. The world considers this silly, but it's vitally important and it comes from having a close relationship with God. How do you submit? By reading the Bible and knowing His truth. It's relieving to know that you don't have to go in search of what He wants you to do. Just listen to what He says. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 with today's edition of Discover Hope. James is taking three actions to cure us of worldliness. First, he diagnoses worldliness in verses 1 through 3. We've been through that thoroughly. The second action is that he cuts worldliness out of us, so to say, in verses 4 and 5. Very strong rebukes, uh, maybe the strongest in the letter, some of the strongest in the Word of God. You adulteresses, don't be friends with the world, you'll be enemies of God. And then third, and this is where we are now, he is providing ongoing medicine so we can make sure we're rid of worldliness for good, and that's in verses 7 through 10. That's what we're focusing on. It is greater grace that is given to the humble to move us towards sanctification. We're given grace at salvation, otherwise we wouldn't be saved. And then he gives us greater grace, as we read about in this passage. It's a little hard to interpret what that is, but we think it's referring to ongoing grace grace for the sanctification that we need, of which he is urging and encouraging us with our responsibility in this passage as well. I want to make three preliminary points about this series of exhortation that comes in staccato fashion here in verses 7 through 10. This will just sort of set the table, set the backdrop for you, just some things we need to make sure we have in our minds as we look at each one of these exhortations. The first preliminary point is that the fault for human problems is not to be looked for on the outside of man, but where? On the inside. This is such a powerful truth and one that is denied by our entire society. I think with the political season going on right now and people at each other's throats, we need to make sure that we emphasize that and have our doctrine and our theology correct when we look at all issues, whether they're societal issues, family issues, whatever they may be, if there's a problem, the problem, morally speaking, is going to be on the inside of a human being, not on the outside of him. The fault is with us. What's wrong with us? We're in rebellion to God. We're not believing what God says. We're not following His promises. I say we as a nation, we as a world. We're not submitting to His authority, and so that's the problem. The problem is whether we have guns or don't have guns or border or not have border. The problem is going to be the fact that human beings are in rebellion to God. And so if we're going to see the grace and the power of God at work, we have to address it at the heart level, at the human level. What's going on in the mind and the heart and the thinking on the inside? You should know that, right? That's basic Christianity, really. But we sometimes lose sight of that when we see everyone giving their solutions for how things are going to be helped. Things are not going to be helped. That's kind of the point of human history. 
is that you can have kingdom, you can have a democracy, you can have a republic, you can have an oligarchy or a thugogarchy or whatever we want to call it. We can have whatever form of government we want, but the problem with humanity is humanity. And that's why every civilization rises and falls, rises and falls, rises and falls. We're not going to solve it on the left, we're not going to solve it on the right, we're not going to solve it in the center. We have to change the way we look at every single problem, and everyone's looking at it this way. And it seems like Christians and social media are mostly looking at it on a horizontal plane. We should do this. No, we should do that. No, we should do this. No, we should do that. The answer is we're not looking at it vertically. Every single problem starts with why we're not reconciled to God. We have to bring men to God. What is the church supposed to be doing in an environment where the nation's going in the wrong direction and everyone's at each other's throats? The answer is very clear. We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to live out the gospel in front of other people so they can be attracted to it. If people are brought to God, then they'll handle their guns better. If people are brought to God, then fathers in the inner city will handle their, handle their homes better. If people are brought to God, then justices will make the right decisions, right? It's all about being brought to God. If people are brought to God, they'll not sneak across a border. And if they're brought to God, they won't be angry at those who do. They'll love them. It's all about being brought to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the church's message for the world, not another one. And you have an opportunity, and I have an opportunity with all these issues here, quit acting like we know how to solve it and bring the solution that God has. It's the solution of Jesus Christ for everybody. It is not irrelevant to talk about Christ on each one of these issues, whether they're economic issues or whether they're criminal issues or whatever they may be. They all should give us an open door right back to the gospel, and that's how we should be thinking. Bring people to God through Jesus Christ because the problem's on the inside of man. We have the dynamite of the gospel. We go around acting like all we have is a squirt gun or something. We have the dynamite of the gospel. We should be speaking it. I hope that's clear in this passage. The problems with man are on the inside, and that's where the church is to speak. We are on another plane on all these issues with them. We're bringing them to a vertical understanding that it all goes back to a relationship with God. After all, why are you not committing crimes right now? Is it because of your inherent goodness, little pedigree you got when you were growing up? You had nice mom and dad, maybe that's part of it, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that you just have been reconciled to God, right? Why are you being faithful sexually and not causing problems for the rest of society? Because that does cause problems for the rest of society. The answer is the gospel, right? God has so worked in your life, so you're good citizens. I hope you're good citizens. You're all good citizens. And you're good citizens now. You act like good citizens because of the gospel. That's your testimony. You could be on the left and, you know, that's not going to solve anything. You can be on the right, and you may feel like that's right about the Constitution. And I won't argue with it because that's where I tend to think. That's not going to solve anybody's problems. That's not going to solve the heart of man. And we need to quit acting like we don't have the gospel and we're just there debating on this horizontal level with everybody. We're not. We're, we transcend that as a church. The second preliminary thought here as we look at these exhortations is to understand that they're not given to us as some kind of a secret order or steps that we're supposed to take in chronological order. First we do this, second we do that, third we do that. They all happen in the human heart. There's no progression here. If we read that into the text, we're reading something it's not presenting. 
and we're trying to make a system out of something that it doesn't. Really, these are just different ways of looking at what needs to happen during the time of repentance, whether it's repentance of an unbeliever who's coming to Christ for the first time, turning from a life of sin, and some of you may need to do that, an entire life of independence from God, where you turn back to God and say, here's my life, I believe in your son, save me. That's the initial repentance or ongoing repentance, which we need to do as well. There is a way of looking at it in different aspects, and that's what this section is doing. The third preliminary thought is that the basic command of the section, the basic theme of the section is humility. The basic command of this section is submit to God. That's what all the others flow out of this one. That's the basic command, submit to God. It's at the head of the list for a reason. And it's immediately followed by a couplet concerning two relationships that you can have, either with the world or with God. It says, resist the devil. Why? Because he's the power behind the world. And then it says, draw near to God. Why? Because he's the opposite of the world. And there's your relationship. Remember, friendship with the world is what? Hostility towards God. Remember? And then it's followed up with another couplet. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you see the parallelism in those two statements? Cleanse, purify, hands, heart. Sinners, double-minded. And then comes a call for a genuine, heartfelt repentance from the inside that even takes over your emotions. Be miserable and mourn and weep, etc. And then it ends with coming back to the overarching theme, humility, humble yourselves. Dr. Will Varner of the Master's College calls this the oratory peak of the letter. It's the climax, in other words, of all the exhortations to the believers in this letter sent out by James to the Diaspora. And so those are some preliminary comments about each one of these that kind of sets the table, so to say, or sets the backdrop so you can understand it. Let's consider that first overarching command first, submit to God. Now, you know, when I see something like this, I can make a whole sermon out of that. We can make a whole series out of that, submit to God. I mean, almost all the Bible is about this, right? I mean, we could start talking about the stories in Genesis and Exodus and what people are supposed to learn about submitting to God. We could talk about the life of John the Baptist trying to bring the nation back to repentance and submit to God and his plan, or the ministry of Jesus Christ, or Paul going around and proclaiming the gospel. I mean, that's kind of the message of the Bible where humanity needs to learn to submit to God and do what he says. He's in charge, we're not, right? I mean, that, that's the foolishness of humanity, humanism, that we are the measure of all things. No, you didn't make yourself. The whole idiosity of evolution, just think about that, that something of, of a lesser degree that has no intelligence could make something of a greater degree that has intelligence, that's logic backwards. It makes no sense at all. That's the foolishness that man has to go to to remove God from his thinking. It's so illogical. It makes no sense at all. Since when does the lesser make the greater? Never. There is a God. Humanity is under God, and we should be submitted to God, right? What is submission? It's really akin to obedience. Obedience. It's not exactly the same thing as obedience. It's sort of like submission of the mind and heart, a willful desire to put yourself, literally is what it means, hupatasso, put yourself underneath the authority of another. There's a, a God-ordained authority. Sometimes we're told to submit to the governing authorities. Why? Because God has ordained them, and their authority, therefore, is delegated from God. In the home, submit to the father, submit to the husband. Why? Because that's where God invested the authority. The world doesn't recognize that. So God delegates his authority, and then we submit. We place ourselves willingly underneath those authorities. 
Well, here James is saying you can move aside all of those authorities for a minute, and we're talking about the highest authority, the one who delegates the authority, the most high God who has all authorities submit to him. If there's anyone that we should submit to, we should be submitting to God. Amen? If there's anyone in our hearts that we should be talking to our souls about saying, you need to learn to be obedient to this one, it would be God. Place ourselves under his authority. He's the highest. And that verb form does indicate that we do it to ourselves. Here you are. You know that uh, you have a will. You know that that will wants to do certain things. And this is a command for you to, to harness that will and submit your, your desires and your obedience to him. He now is your master. This is a call to become a servant of another, that he is the greater and you will live your life for him. It's really a wonderful thing when you think who the master is, right? How is it exactly we submit to God? If I said I wanted to submit to God, I can go in prayer and I can say, Lord, I submit to you. But when I finish praying, how am I going to go up from, get up and continue on and show I'm really submitting to God? And the answer has to be the Scripture, right? It's the Scripture. See, God, in His relationship with us, has given us the Scripture. He's given us the book. He's given us His commands. He's given us His Word. Fathers in the home, you know that if you ask your children to do what you say to do, say, I want you to be submitted to, to me, I want you to respect me, then the answer would be when the father speaks, then the children need to do what the father says, right? The words cannot be separated from the person, from the father. It's the same way with God. Those that say they're submitted to God but don't listen to what he says are really in rebellion to God. They're really deceiving themselves. They're not really there. We have to go back to the Scripture. Why do we have to submit to the Scripture? Because it is, what do we say all the time? It is God's, what? Word. It's His Word. It's His words, and it is His Word collectively. It's His message. That's what Scripture is. That's what He says it is. God reveals it, and as He reveals it, that revelation itself becomes a guide to us and tells us the things that we need to know. It tells us the things we need to know about God. Tells us the things we need to know about Christ. Tells us the things we need to believe about the Holy Spirit. But this book also, as a revelation when it comes, it authenticates itself. It speaks about itself and it says, this is the Word of God. And you can see that it is the Word of God. And you can sense that it is the Word of God because it authenticates itself. It has its own power. And if you're going to submit to God, then you have to listen to what God says. And God says it in His written, infallible, and scripturated and we also say inerrant word, and we have to listen to it. You don't need to go out looking for what is the will of God for your life. Should I do this? Should I do that? That stuff will become clear as you go through life, as you invest yourself in different experiences, as you rub shoulders with different people. They'll tell you what you're good at, and they'll tell you what you're bad at. But God's will for your life is here. This is his will for your life. You read the word and the word says, this is what I want you to do. And so if you're going to be submitted to God, you have to be taking the word of God very seriously for yourself personally. We try to do that as a church. But individually, and fathers in your homes, that's what you need to be doing, taking the word of God very seriously in your homes. It expresses God's will for your life. Don't go looking out there for the will of God when God says, this is what I want you to do. Submit yourself to this. Set your heart to believe what it teaches. Set your heart to do what it says. What if it doesn't make any sense to me, pastor? 
You do it anyways because you trust Him. It makes sense to Him, and He has a lot more experience, right? No wonder the world is always mocking those who carry their Bibles around and follow their Bible. Have you ever been mocked for carrying your Bible around? Say, I don't carry my Bible around. Well, maybe you should start. Maybe that would be a great thing. Take a Bible, carry it around, bring it to workplace, and let someone say something. It's amazing. It's amazing. Why that book? Why are they all upset about it? That would be the first question I'd have for someone, right? Why are you upset with that book? If it's not true, you don't have anything to worry about. If it is true, you shouldn't be upset with it. It's true. Come read it with me, right? This is the will of God, and it expresses the will of God. But they, they don't like this book. They, there's a reaction to that book. There's a mockery to that book. There's a stiff arm to that book. Why? Because they're in rebellion to the book. Sometimes they get it better than we do. They're in rebellion to the book because they're in rebellion to God. That book reminds them that they're under judgment for being rebellious to God. What will God use on Judgment Day to judge them? He'll bring out His Word. We try to live in obedience to it. Now, we're not perfect, but at least we're picking up reading, trying to say, I'm trying to act like that. I'm trying to do that. Oh, Lord, give me more grace. Our hearts are submitted to some degree to that, and we're trying to learn more of that. But they're not. I mean, they're footloose and fancy free. They're doing whatever they want. They're their own authority. They hate any authority, really, some of them. But this book exposes their charade of goodness. If you don't believe in Christ, you've disobeyed the first commandment of God because God said, you have to believe in my son. I sent him into the world for you to believe in him. To not believe in the son is disobedience to God. It's rebellion to God. Isn't it interesting that Islam says that it's the religion of submission to God and that a Muslim is one who's submitted to God? No, they're not. They're in full-scale rebellion to the God of heaven. Every last Muslim, because they're not submitting to the Son of God who is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Their entire religion is in rebellion to God. Unbelievers are not good. Their unbelief is bad. It's not that they just made another choice. They made a choice to not believe what God said, and in that choice, they're rebellious towards God. Anyone who does not follow the Bible, and now we have to put it this way, anyone who does not follow the Bible as it is written... Not as they would like it to say or they back up several steps and say, well, in general, what I think the Bible is saying is, no, that's why we take time to go into the words because they're there and God, God put his words in there and he wants us to listen to them and he wants us to obey them. Well, I don't take the Bible all that literally. Well, then you're in rebellion to God. You're in rebellion to God because God takes his word very literally. You say, in every spot? No, I mean, the spots, some spots are obvious. It's not supposed to be taken literally. But even there, we're, we're studying it with a normal interpretive grid so that we can understand when there is a simile or a metaphor or some analogy or some parable that's being given. We understand that. And that's a serious approach towards Scripture because we're trying to learn it, right? But if someone says, I don't take it all that literally. I mean, you guys really get into the Bible. there. They're expressing that their heart's not submitted to God. And sadly, their church might not even teach them that in order to be submitted to God, in order to please God, they have to take this book in their life seriously. Their church might not even be telling them that. That's that. Well, no one who pushes this book aside is submitted to God. You know, who is a Christian and who is not a Christian kind of sprung out this week, did it not? The Pope's declaring Trump not a Christian or did he or did he not. Is the Pope a Christian? <laughs> What makes a Christian? The one who says, I have come to know Christ and does not keep Christ's commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. Pretty clear. Pretty clear tests about who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. 
We can't judge the heart. We can judge the fruit. And there's some pretty clear tests about that, right? So that includes politician. That includes president. That includes pope. And that includes us and our hearts. Even as believers, we need to keep submitting ourselves to God. Some of you need to keep doing this again. I know when I'm preaching through this series, one of the reasons I'm slowing down is it's ministering to my heart. I love this text of Scripture. I didn't at first, be honest. It, you know, it's like, that's, all, that's, that's heavy. But as you get into it, you just learn every single one of these commandments that seems sharp and strong and humbles our heart. Oh, it does. It's like a bomb on your soul. It's just a soothing, soothing aroma and a soothing ointment on our soul just to help us to learn to love God and follow Him more. Well, some of you need to do this again. You need to submit to God's leadership in your life. Please take your, ser your submission to God seriously. Please do that. Please think about your life. Please think about where it's heading. What are your goals? What are you doing with your time? How is your money being spent? You know, all, all, of, the, all of the resources that you have, all the direction of yourself, please take that seriously and ask, Am I really being submitted to God? I, I would give you this advice. If you're struggling with this, get alone with God this week. Get alone with God. Take a Bible. Put it on your lap. Look out at the nature that God made. Look, look out and think of the majesty and the grandeur of Almighty God, the Most High of Heaven. Get out there alone with Him where you can really think about your relationship with God and be thoughtful about it and read the book. Read the book. Read what it says. Read some of the Psalms. Read some of the epistles. Read what it's saying to your soul. Push out all the business that you have to do, all of the chores that you have to do. Get, get it out of your way for a while. And think about this one, the Ancient of Days. And get down low before Him. Don't, don't be angry at Him for not answering your prayers already. And if you are angry at Him because He hasn't answered your prayers already, confess that and start with that. Don't tell him that he hasn't brought you that friend that you've been asking for the last five years and so, and so you're just not going to draw near to him. Don't say that. Instead, say, Lord, I know that you'll meet all my needs. Don't remind him that he hasn't brought you that job that you think you need or that house that you think you deserve or that ministry that you thought by now would emerge or that wife or husband you've been longing for because your heart's lonely or that better health that you crave. Just say right in the midst of your pain, right in the midst of your want, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not want. Right in the midst of the pain, say the Lord is good, bless his name. Right in the midst of your rejection, go back to the cross and remember that you are eternally accepted in Jesus Christ. Right in the midst of your neglect, remember the little sparrow that the Lord Jesus said, taught us a lesson, right? His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he what? Watches me. Say that. Say, Lord, you're right. You're right, and you're just in all your dealings with me. This isn't the way I would have designed my life. This isn't how I would have made it progress. I would have had this done by the 30s and this done by the 40s, or if you're younger, whatever. This is what I wish would have emerged this way. I can't believe you rerouted my life that way, took this person out of my life, didn't allow me to have that thing right when I was about to get to it. That's not how I would have ordered things. And then he can remind you, and if I had let you order things the way you wanted, you would not grow to understand the things that I'm trying to teach you in life, right? Do you remember that spiritual song, in his time, in his time, he makes all things, what? Beautiful in his time. 
So you say, Lord, I submit to you. I'm ready to do your will. I don't know where you're taking me. I don't understand why you work the way you do, but I will submit my heart to you. I will submit my future to you. I will submit my family to you. I'll submit my schooling, my occupation, my ministry, my health to you. And then God will lead you. You're his sheep. It's already taken care of if you will only continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Knowing Him personally gives way to guidance in what you should do for the day, as Pastor Tom explained to you today. A soul yielded to God will keep out all the junk and chaos this world wraps up in pretty bows. Folks, don't be ridiculous in thinking that the world cares about you more than your Heavenly Father. It's not true. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, We want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. A child always knows better than the parent, right? Wrong. All the parents out there that said amen, well, it's the same when we try to tell God his timing isn't exact. He gives you what's right when you need it. So make sure to tune in next time to listen to Pastor Tom expand on this. Jesus meets you in your joys and sorrows, in your highs and lows. Will you have faith that God has your best interest at heart? Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.